murder. Swerving with my circus, looking for a purpose. Pseudo clean record, hope got so, Luke, for uh, episode 125, you look like you got some sun, man. Yeah, man, I've been getting yeah, some do. sun, kid. Yeah, man, get, go to the pool on the weekends just to chill out and relax. It's really nice, but it's getting very political at the pool. It's getting very political uh, right here. Yeah. Well, it's a small community. We, we've talked on the show, and it's good to have all three of us back. I could go back yes. to ignoring Josh and take a little break in my head while he's talking. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, you know, all this political stuff and, you know, city city council doing doing dumb things like I don't know. I think I'm actually going to make a speech tomorrow at the at the city at the emergency city council meeting where they moved locations at the last minute. It's like the optics. What are you guys doing? And I, I'm going to be very friendly and I'm going to be very political and very cordial if I decide to speak. And the first thing I'm going to do is compliment them on their service and say, I know it's not easy. You can't please everyone. But y'all really need to work on your communication, you, you, because you know, even you know, if you're on, even if you're on the up and up, even if everything is completely innocent, you have to consider the optics of what you're doing, because it makes it look like you're up to no good, and that's not a good thing. You know, I won't say it in those words, but I, I will say something. This is the this is going to be the first salvo in Luke's run for office. <laughs> <laughs> publicly i mean that 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 takes place in person um i've already fired a few shots on social media you know the the next door app but i i haven't been overly aggressive you know i've tried to you know well we should stop we should solve that so tomorrow when you do this you should hire some lackey pay him like 25 bucks give him your iphone and say oh by the way uh Culper's canteen cup is this <laughs> local podcast that covers events like this uh, so, you know, we brought them along for the ride. You know, we figured, you know, you'd oh. like to explain to their audience what's going on here, right? That's how you do it. And you ambush. I really should ambush. do that. I Total really ambush. should have, do that. Dude, do, take Michelle and have her have her video it. Oh, I've got people who will do it. She can't make it, of course. But, uh, yeah, man, that's a good idea. Work that in there. Uh, I'm, here, I'm here as a citizen and on behalf of a little known uh, journal. I don't know how I'd phrase that, but a little known outlet called this. And, you know, we have been talking about this on our outlet. So uh, this is being recorded. Uh, we are going to share this with our audience, but the city council won't say anything. They don't respond because there's, there's a, I, ha- I should have pulled up the, uh, I should have pulled up the, the agenda. Uh, they're very clear that, you know, every citizen can get up and speak for five minutes, but they will not discuss and they will not anything. They will not respond. They will sit there and be quiet because they don't have to. Uh, See, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. It's like, dude, you work for us. Yeah. Right. Even at that level, especially at that level, like, like they're your neighbors. They live across the, the lake from you in this and that. Right. I mean, yeah. like, come on. Yeah. It's um, again, I, I think I said it in a, in, in a podcast earlier. They, they don't have to say anything. It doesn't mean they can't. You know what I'm saying? It's just like I, I, if if I was the mayor <laughs> of this city, I would whip up our I don't know if you call it PR. You probably wouldn't call it that. What, what's the right word? I, I need to look up in city government, community relations, whatever. You need to ramp that up and communicate with the people. Don't just sit there stone faced during a meeting. You don't you know, I don't know what discussion actually means. And, and, you know, in the, in the parlance of city council or whatever, when they get up and speak, well, we're not going to discuss it. Well, what does that mean? At least you can respond to it noted. 
I would encourage you to X, Y, Z, put this on the next agenda. And we because can they're not true believers. And they no, they're not. They, they're, they're either doing something shady or they're not true believers or they're just completely incompetent. No, don't know what's going on enough to be able to sit down and have dialogue about it. I, I, I think, above. yeah, I think and that there's, it. I, I don't think that they're all bad people. In fact, there's one city council member that just came on and this city council member is a professor, professor of finance at Texas Tech University. It's like, yep, that's what we need. We need a finance person on that city council who knows what they're looking at when they see all these numbers, you know, and unscrew uh, certain aspects of how money is moved around. I'm not going to accusing anybody of anything. I don't know. I, I tend to part ways with Josh a lot of times and, and expect the best out of people until they prove me otherwise, prove to me otherwise, which is not always the safest way to live. But I'm not going to accuse anybody of anything, but there does need to be more accountability to the people whom they represent. They are not leaders. They are not. None of our politicians are leaders. They can gain that status in some people's minds, you know, like Winston Churchill, uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, in my mind, it was a leader, not just a representative, you know, in the executive branch. Um, but you're not a leader. When you go into office like this, you're not a leader. You're a representative who should have the, you know, the interests of the community on your mind. Again, you can't please everyone. That's a, that's a good thing. But what was or That's a good thing to remember. What was Ronald Reagan known for? And good politicians. Bill Clinton was good at it, too. They communicated. They communicated with everyone and said, look, you guys on the other side who don't agree with this, you know, you may have some legitimate points, but let me let me let me explain to you where I'm coming from and try to bring you around to my side of thinking, you know, uh, well, even Barry was like that. I mean, he wasn't oh, trying yeah. to bring you around, but he well, would communicate. And his yeah. whole thing was, well, guess what? You know, elections have consequences. Yeah. And as much as I hate the dude and I hated his policies, like there is a certain appreciation that, okay, well, Hey, you're telling me that you're making this decision because you're the man in charge and it's just the way it is. And so if you want to change that, then you better start winning some elections. And there's a part of me, a large part of me that can go along with that. You know, absolutely. Well, it is what it is. I'll, I'll let you know that, that this, this probably, this podcast probably won't come out until after, well, it definitely won't come out until after the meeting, but that'll be a good thing to cover on the next one. Uh, but it's it's going to be standing yeah, room sure, only. Make sure you get a selfie. Yeah, I, oh, I'll definitely have people taking pictures. So here, let me let me just give you a, li- a quick thing, a uh, real quick thing on this. I know a lot of people don't care about this stuff, but this is the stuff going on in every community, whether it's Apache Junction or Raleigh, where Josh lives. He lives in the bad part of Raleigh with the dirty truck stops with the lot lizards. I thought he was more like Wilmington or something. There like you go. It's Wilmington. My bad. Oh, how I forgot that. But so this is going on oh, in man. your Hope, city. Hope Mills. Hope Mills. <laughs> this is going on in every one of the cities uh, with every one of our listeners. There's a city council and there's stuff going on and they're hoping you don't notice. They're hoping you don't get involved because you are a problem when you get involved. You're something that they have to deal with when you get involved. And guess what? That's not their job. But I think that once these representatives are elected to office, they tend to go around to that side of thinking. It's like, man, they're just going to get in the way, you know. So here, here's here's a little background. Stuff like this is going on in your city. You just don't know it because you don't get to get involved. The city is too big. You're too busy, whatever. So the city council, because of this stuff that's going on with the development I've covered in other episodes out here, they there are so many people upset and wanting to know what's going on that they had to move the city council meeting from city hall, which is at the top of the hill that seats maybe 30 people, tops. They had to move it down and they had to coordinate with the 
with the property owners association to move it to a bigger, you know, event house that's on an island in the lake, right? POA owns that, not the city. <clears throat> so they had to move it down there. And, and again, that, that place seats hundreds and it was full. So now they're having an emergency meeting and they moved it back up to the top of the hill, knowing full well, there's going to be that many people there again. Now, even if everything is on, like I said, I'm going to go back to what I said before. Even if this is a casual, innocent, I've got air quotes up here, mistake, like Josh said, or Roger, it's either incompetence or it's malice. Either way, the optics are really bad. The optics are bad. It makes us think you're doing this stuff on purpose. And the mayor lives right down the street from me. She knows. She, I know she trolls on next door. She knows how we all feel. If I was mayor, she knows me. I've been to her house. I would walk my ass down to somebody's house, knock on the door and say, hey, look, I'm not here as the mayor. I'm here as your friend. But I am the mayor. Here's what's going on. It's important to me. I respect you. It's important to me that you understand this, right? It's not a big community, dude. We talked about this before. We all know where each other lives. Now, I don't have time to go to every single person down here, but I would make an effort. I would make an effort. And that's what we were talking about last time, Roger. I don't know if I have the energy or the time to put forth that kind of effort, the effort that the office deserves. So, dude, I'm going to get off my soapbox. We, we're talking about, you know, a little old Ransom Canyon, Texas. Nobody cares about it. But, uh, you know, this foray into getting involved in, in local politics is rather interesting and frustrating. Uh, and, it, and it does require a lot of effort. So we'll see where it goes. I don't know. Well, I think the part of the problem is, and we've talked about this, at, well, one, people should care. And I think more people care than than what you realize, you know, because they all sit, everybody, you know, has a HOA, you know, they all bitch and complain and this and that. And and some communities are just so large that you really have no impact. But, you know, our community, it's 48 homes. We have a lot of impact, obviously. And, and our president lives right across the street and, and this and that. So, uh, one, people should care. But, you know, a large part of this problem, and, and I I've asked this question before, and I think this goes all the way up to our elected officials up at the house is, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze, not only in the results, but the time and the effort that you have to put in versus being compensated to do that, because we all have bills to pay, right? At the end of the day. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be paid a million dollars because you're sitting on city council, whatever, but it does take up a lot of time. It takes up a lot of effort, even for a small town. And hey, I have a day job. We all three have day jobs on top of trying to put this, you know, half-assed podcast out, you know, once every <laughs> 10 days. Right. And then on top of that, let's throw on city council for, you know, meager pay, if any, uh, if you're lucky. Uh, and so when you throw on, you say, man, look at the amount of time and energy that I'm going to expend. And it's not even for a worthwhile salary. You know, that, that's a bigger part of the problem. Like Josh, I mean, cause you, you have a hoe out where you're at, correct? How big is your hoe out? So we are just forming our HOA. We're just now, the neighborhood's just now taken over from the, uh, from the developer. So we don't have an official HOA yet, but here in the next couple of months, you know, they're, they're putting it together and I'm trying to figure out a way to get elected to the HOA so I can sabotage it from the, uh, from the <laughs> inside. So it doesn't turn into, you know, the, the brown shirts, you know, via Karen. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't want to be on the whole board. I don't, I don't, I, I have enough going on. I don't want to be busy with that. I don't want to have to deal with that, but I can already see on our neighborhood Facebook page that there are a number of people 
And these people were problematic during COVID. So I already know, I already know, you know, their, their, their style, I already know their leadership style. And, you know, they make comments like, I can't wait to get on the board. Oof. I can't wait to be on the board. You're like, I, Oh Lord. Like it's scary. Yeah, man. And you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's truly, it's truly scary because, you know, it's like, I was talking to, uh, you know, I was talking to our mutual friend, Ted the other day about, you know, elected office. And, you know, I told him, I was like, you should run for president. I think you make a great president. And, you know, he's like, I don't want to be president. Like I would never want to be president. I said, that's why you should be president. (laughs) Exactly. Because you don't want it. I said, because the people who seek those offices and the people who seek power are the ones who should not have it. And, you know, I don't want to sit on our HOA board, but like I'm going to start showing up to these, you know, preliminary meetings, you know, where they're putting together bylaws and they're putting together, you know, you, you know, you can't park your, you know, your camper in your driveway for more than two hours or whatever. And I'm going to have a shirt made that just says hashtag defund the HOA. Right. And that's where I'm going to start. Like I'm going straight, dude, I'm going straight anti-federalist on our, on our HOA from the get go, because this is how, I mean, this is like, Luke is absolutely 100% correct. As much as that pains me to say, he's right. Like you have to get involved at the local level. Yeah. How big is it? How how many homes are in your, I mean, we don't have pretty good neighborhood. I mean, well, there's only like, there may be, I think there's 50 something homes. Might be right at sixty homes. Oh, so I mean, so you could have some direct impact and influence. Then well, I mean, it's small enough that you can. I mean, you could definitely get. Here's it. here's what you need to do. Yeah. Okay. From from my point of view, number one, I think you should be on it because of the reasons you outlined. You don't want it, but you know you're needed there. But if you think about it, right, the HOAs and the property owners association, same thing, a little bit different, but pretty much the same. They could be something really good, but they're. They've evolved into something that nobody likes, right? And that's why you should get on it to keep their asses in check. But the smallest form of government would be the HOA in most cases, in most cases. Sure. Some, some HOAs are as big as cities, you know. But So therefore, the smallest, most local form of government, as we've talked about before, should have the most effect over your daily life. And they do. They really do. Yeah. I mean, the federal government can say, you know, no more refrigerators and all that, you know, whatever, whatever they're doing, no more uh, gas stoves. But the HOA can tell you what kind of freaking plants you can have outside. They can tell exactly. you, you cannot have a garden in your backyard. So it's important to keep them in check. Now, here's what I'm going to get to the point, what you should do. Your platform should be, we are going to stand up Luke's version of a well-regulated militia. It's going to be our HOA militia. It's going to be our neighborhood. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Yes. That should be your, like, yeah. You you know, you stand up, you know, you volunteer fire department, all that stuff. And we're going to have a, I wouldn't call it a militia, but because then you'd be labeled a terrorist by DHS, but label it as something, but make it like a militia. You know what I'm saying? The neighborhood protection Corps or something like that. It would be the, the neighborhood defense force. There you go. NDF. I like it. Dude. Yeah. So, I mean, HOAs can get out of control quick. So just a quick example. So my father-in-law's HOA voted and it passed. You cannot park your car in your driveway. It has to go inside your garage. Yeah, no, that's ridiculous. Dude, my father-in-law was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I am not absolutely not doing that. 
He's like, and I'm not moving. He's like, I, basically, he was just, you know, he was, he, he is going to remain ungovernable. <laughs> and, but like, dude, you can't park. Like, so I can't park my car in my driveway. I get it. You can't have your, you know, you can't have your 72 Oldsmobile sitting up on blocks with the transmission dropped out of it, you know, for, for a year or two on it, you know, but like, I can't park my daily driver in my driveway. Are you insane? It's, it's stuff like that, 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 that scares me. Um, you know, when, when they started talking hose and it scared me and I saw it during COVID, right? We, we have people in our neighborhood during COVID who were, you know, very much, I saw so so leaving their house today. They people shouldn't be going out, you know. Blah blah. It's like you, you are a Tory, but you would have turned, like you would have turned Anne Frank in. Yeah, they, you would have called and been like, Anne Frank is hiding in the attic next door. Come get her. Those, those people are absolutely terrible. One more point on the um, on the political office thing, and then we could move on to whatever Roger wants to talk about. Um, the mayor of Amarillo, uh, Cole Stanley, I had an opportunity to meet him and have a few conversations with him. And I asked him early on, I said, hey, man, what, what do you think about, you know, I kicked around the idea of possibly running for mayor. What do you think? And he said, and he's the kind of guy, uh, Josh and Roger, that he is rich. OK, he's a developer. He don't need this. He's, but he saw some problems with the leadership in Amarillo, specifically the mayor and city council. That he's he and a few other people like we got to do something about this. We got to bring some more transparency, so on and so forth. So it's like who 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 better? He, this is the kind of guy who is so wealthy that that he took the absolute minimum you can take because the, you have to pay the mayor, right? So he took the absolute minimum, which is twenty dollars a month. So you know if you're independent, independently wealthy like that, like Rogers always saying, yeah, you know you can do whatever you want, and you know, but most of us aren't like that. But anyway, he said to me. Running for public office, no matter how big or small it is, is something that you can't live without doing. Like on your deathbed, you look back and you think, man, I really should have done that. He goes, you have to think about your deathbed when you're thinking about running for public office because it will take everything out of you. So that that was I thought that was good advice. That doesn't necessarily mean you want to do it. You know, not a lot of people don't want to go to war, you know, but it's something you feel like you have to do. You know, not not a lot of people don't want to do difficult things, but it's something you have to do. So I thought that was really good advice. And let me tell you something. That guy is a good mayor. hundred percent. So Cole Stanley, I wish I could get him to, to start listening, but uh, maybe someday will. But uh, man, kudos to that dude. You know, we got talking about the whole car thing. We got a listener, Chris, who was on one of our early episodes. And early on, when we lived in Tucson, uh, very similar. Their HOA, you could not have your garage door open. Your garage door could open when you backed the car out and pulled the car in. Other than that, your garage door had to be shut. Like who even brought that up? That, that's the other thing, right? Because that's not something, you're not talking about a default set of rules for HOAs and people are like, okay, well, yeah, it's stupid. It's just always been a place. Like somebody actually brought that up and said that, hey, I don't think garage doors should be able to be open unless you're pulling in or out, which, you know, it, it was bad for him because he liked to work on cars and other things or whatever. So you got the garage door open because it's, you know, hot as balls down there. But not only did somebody bring it up and bring it to a vote, then you obviously had the majority of the board approve it. It's like, who makes this stuff up, man? It's, it's insane. Hey man, Luke was right. Everybody's got a little bit of gulag guard in them. 
Yeah, we all do. Yeah, yeah. Like Jordan Peterson says, don't fool yourself for one minute. It's in you too. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, and I think in Arizona, I need to look up the law because I heard it change, but I haven't been able to find it because up until uh, at least several years ago, uh, the HOAs here in Arizona could foreclose on your house for as little as $1,200 in delinquent fees. Yeah. And it goes, so it goes back to like the property tax piece. And I am going somewhere with this, but it goes back to the property tax piece. And I think, Josh, you probably brought this up several episodes ago that, hey, or maybe it was Luke. The government can take your house for not paying property tax. The government can take your house for not, not even the government, right, for not paying your HOA fees. Like, so you, you just never own your home. You never truly own your home. Uh, because if you don't continue to paying, pay on it, even after you're done paying on it, uh, they can still take it. So it's never truly yours. What I let me throw this out there because it's a pretty big deal uh, in this area, and this is this is tangentially uh, related. Homelessness, right? Real big deal here in Phoenix. Um, you know, with yeah, whiskey helps. Whiskey helps most of us all the time. Big deal here in Phoenix. Obviously, we got a new governor, uh, which is kind of funny because they're not calling to, they're not asking for a recall. She was eligible for recall in July. There was like a lot of steam. But I think people like it, dude. People like the fact that nothing's getting passed. And, and Ted brought this up before. Like, that's, that's, that's what the founding fathers wanted was like so much contention that nothing gets done. And I, I, you know what? At first, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. But Governor Ducey, when he left, uh, you know, he, took, he lowered property taxes. He lowered, uh, you know, he took away the, the military retirement tax. He did some good things. Well, now with the GOP legislature and Democrat uh, governor, Nothing is getting done. And I think when people were fired up at first because they're like, oh, no, Katie Hobbs, they're realizing, well, hey, man, I like predictability. I kind of dig this. So, it, you know, that slowly the, uh, you know, the, the chance have gone away to, to recall her. But I'll throw it over to, to Josh first. Homelessness is a big deal here. And I've thought about it for like the last week or two. What's the answer? Like, what's the solution for homelessness? Because, like, we've got some pretty big camps. Now, we're not as, ba- you know, as bad as, as, as San Francisco or L.A., but I sit here and they talk about running hotels out and this and that. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about the people who can't find work, you know, because I think there's a solution there for it. And I think that that probably is a role for government if they want to assist that, that type of stuff. But the people like D.C., right, the people who don't want to work, that just want to be homeless, what's the solution for them? What do you do with them? You can't, you can't let them just stay there, I don't think. Where do you move them to? What do you do? Well, I think you could probably move... And I don't know the percentage, so I, I would be kind of guessing on that. But you, you open the insane asylums back up because there's a large part of you know the homeless population in the United States who are mentally disturbed. They're mentally disabled. And they need to be in a group home. They need to be in a mental institution to where they can be properly you know cared for and live the best life that they're able to live. You know, given their you know their their mental disability. So I think you you know I think that's a start. Uh, but I, you do have a bunch of people who, who, who don't want to work, uh, you know, who, who, who it's easier to be homeless. You know, I think if, and I think there's, so we'll, we'll set them to the side for a minute. I do think there's a part, you know, there, there's, uh, again, I don't know what the percentage would be. So I, I'd be talking out of my butt if I, you know, threw out one, but there's a number of homeless people who probably do want to work. They just, you know, they, they've gotten to the point where they don't know where to start. It's like the person who, you know, gains so much weight, right? And just gains weight and gains weight and gains weight. And they're like, you know, 300 pounds. They're just like, I don't know how I got out of control, but I just like, I'm so far down this hole. I don't know where to start. 
So I think you find those people, right? And those people, you get them a job, put them in a hotel. That's great. All right. Well, you got them off the street, but what's the next step, right? What is your, what's the desired end state? Is it just to get them off the street? Okay. Well, you can get them off the street, put them in a hotel. You made their life a little better, but you know, what's the, what's the desired end state? They have to, you have to keep, you have to continue working towards something, so you get those folks a job, you find them a job, right? Reagan said it, the best social program in the world is a job. Uh, and, you know, for the ones who just don't want to work, who's like, I want to be homeless and, you know, shoot up meth between my toes and, you know, hang out. Well, where do you want to go in the world? Like, where do you want to go? And you buy them, a, you buy them a one-way plane ticket and you send them there. And, and that's that. Or you dump them in the, you know, in front of the Naval Observatory, <laughs> you know, I am serious. I mean, it's, you send them to the cities that claim, you know, we're sanctuary cities. Okay. Well, you're going to be a sanctuary for all of our homeless and you get those home off the street. Like, Hey, we, you know, we're going to feed everybody Cracker Barrel and then we're going to put you on the bus and, and away <laughs> you go. I, I mean, that's just, that's just what it is because you know, there's a lot of places and you see it now. I, I did not see when I was in Fayetteville the first time. You didn't see homeless people. Like, I really didn't. As bad as, like, Bragg Boulevard and Hay Street were, you didn't see homeless people. There's homeless people everywhere now. I mean, it looks like, you know, Jonestown the morning after. It's crazy. <laughs> They're everywhere. Oh, dude, like, it's, yeah, we have like little tent cities in, in Phoenix now. It, it's insane yeah. out here. Did you see where I forget where it was? Was it in California, the tent city where they basically turned like half the tent city into a meth lab? <laughs> and it caught and it caught on fire. Oh, it caught on fire. Yes, I did see that. Yeah. It was a big fire, too. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, it was massive. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a little, you know, brush fire like some kid started in his backyard in a pile of pine straw. Like it was. Dude, it was a fire. It was a legit, like, multiple Marana fire trailer park fire. Yeah. So you have to do, you, you've got to, you have to address this problem. I mean, Skid Row in L.A., you know, Ben Shapiro was talking about it. You can't even go downtown L.A. anymore and walk down the sidewalk because you have to walk in the street because the sidewalk is overtaken with tents and homeless people. And it's just. Dude. You know, Roger, know. Roger drops these questions like casually drops. So, Josh, how do you solve the right. homeless problem in the United States right. of America? <laughs> Jeez, I guess we'd have to well, go. No, it's just one of those no, It's one of those things. We, we talk about a lot of issues. Yeah. And it's one of those that I, looking, especially here because of Phoenix, the way it is, uh, could not really come up with like, wow, there's no good solution that, you know, there's bits and pieces here and there, but uh, I just couldn't come up with a good solution for it overall. And you well, got to have it out there as well, right? Because of the weather and stuff, I'd imagine. Uh, the homeless uh, problem is worse than it's been, but it's not to the levels of like Fayetteville and out there in Arizona and like Austin, places like that. You do see it more often, but I, I you know, this is such a, a difficult question. I like Josh's answer, uh, but you'd have to go back 25 years uh, to start correcting the problems along the way that brought us to this point. You know, uh, it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, one of those things is one of the things that Josh always said when they closed down the 
the nut houses, you know, for lack of a better term, the institutions, uh, it's that's part of the problem. Now, it wasn't I believe that started on the state level. I don't know. I'd have to really look into what federal laws are on there. But I do know that states play a big part of it. You know, uh, what do they call it? Uh, Involuntary commitment. Right. Uh, Yeah. Josh is saying uh, you have to get rid of the policies which attract homelessness and incentives. Right. The, you know, the incentive system. And that's been around for a long time. And, you know, people get hooked on drugs and it's just a, you know, a, a negative feedback loop. And it's a huge, huge problem. But I do think that uh, in in drugs is is definitely, definitely a huge part of the problem. Uh, mental illness, huge part of the problem. I see cities partnering with certain organizations and let me run this by you guys to tell me what you think. And, uh, just remember this, Roger, I'll kick it to you. So the, I don't know if it's the city of Lubbock, I guess it is. Maybe it's a, uh, uh, not, uh, not for, not for profit organization that has, just hear me out on this. So they've, and if I covered this on another podcast, just stop me. But what they've done in, in the city of Lubbock, and it's very obvious it's happening, is they are supplying, if you will, homeless people with dogs. And I've seen homeless people with up to five dogs. I, at first, I'm like, what, what kind of the hell program is this? But the more th- I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what? Maybe it's not the best thing in the world. But maybe I'm going to look at the silver lining and be like, maybe this isn't a horrible thing because the homeless people I have seen with dogs, the dogs are well fed. And I did some research into that. Uh, Yes, the dogs are eating. And that's part of the thing. I I guess I don't know if it's a shelter that provides these homeless people with dogs, but the shelter will provide them with food. Hey, come back here. We'll give the dog food. You know, so the dog's not hurting. Uh, as long as they, you know, they, they get back to the shelter to get them food. But every homeless person I've seen with a dog, the dog not only is well fed and not starving, do the homeless people eat the dogs? Okay. I have not seen that, but I can't rule it out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the dogs are healthy. The dogs seem well behaved and the homeless people really seem to take care of the dogs, right? So you're getting strays, you know, giving them some... And maybe that gives the homeless person a little bit of sense of ownership. I can take care of something. I can take care of something. Maybe I shouldn't shoot up. Maybe that's, you know, you know, the discourage them from shooting up because what's going to happen to my dog? It's a sense of ownership. It's giving them a little responsibility. It's bringing a little bit of love into their lives. You know, everybody loves dogs and dogs love unconditionally. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think it's a solution by any stretch of the imagination. But I do have a soft spot in my heart for for dogs, you know, for domesticated dogs, domesticated cats. They don't like polar bears and alligators and sharks, huh? panda bears. <laughs> I, I care about I care about the dogs, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily such a bad thing as long as the dogs aren't being abused. But I have not seen that. Again, the homeless people I've seen, the dogs seem well behaved, the dogs seem well fed, and the homeless people do seem to be taking care of them. But to answer Roger's question, uh, I had a buddy a few years ago. We, we talked about, you know, the unemployment rate and homelessness. And we both agreed we were on a long drive, like six hours. And we worked it all out. And it's like, you got to, again, remove the incentives and put it in the hands of the private sector to solve the problem somehow. Incentivize the private sector with jobs programs and things like this. You know, if you fulfill this many jobs, you know, fill this many with this success rate, you get this tax incentive or whatever it is. 
from the federal government, whatever. But put it in the hands of the private sector, performance-driven, return on investment, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, that again, it's too hard of a problem to solve in even two hours. But um, it is a good question, though, Roger. So what do you think about the dog thing? The dog thing would be cool if you had some roadmap to quote unquote success or rehabilitation or whatever the, the you want to term it, you know, because I mean, you look at a lot of the kennels, right? Overpopulated. Uh, you got a lot of the COVID animals now, right? You know, when, when Becky and Karen could stay at home and take care of the cat and the dog and this and that, and now they got to go back to work, uh, you know, at, at Tesla or Twitter or whatever, uh, a lot of them are giving up their dogs. So I think that, you know, we brought it up before where, they were talking about uh, some of the kennels are at you know 100% and 200% capacity, uh, 100% over what they normally are at. So it would be like, uh, you know, kind of a nice matching or pair up if you were able to take a pet from the kennel, give it to the individual. And I don't know what this roadmap would look like, but I do. And you kind of said what I was thinking. It's like, okay, there's that sense of responsibility. And I want to believe in what Josh said, where, you know, sometimes, man, you just get on that road to 300 and you don't know how you got there. You're just, and we're talking about weight, folks. Uh, we're talking about weight because I was called fat today by my doctor again. Actually, it was a different doctor. It was a doctor at the VA who called me fat. So I have now you, had a, I've now had a, one opinion and a second opinion <laughs> tell me that I'm fat. So what? The mirror was the second opinion. <laughs> no, I had another, my other doctor. He hey. lost all that weight and then called me fat. And <laughs> just, this one here, you tell them, hey, Jelly Roll's fat too, and look at him. Yeah, but if if you know, with some sense of responsibility. Um, and, and some roadmap to success. I think I could get behind that. But I think when you talk about people that Josh brought up with those folks that are just on that road, I think maybe, and, and my, my mind's changed about this a little bit. I think it was probably different three or four years ago. And, and I don't know what you guys are seeing where you're at, but like here, our local Burger King, like I think every Tuesday and Thursday, they've got a big sign up. It's open interviews, man. It is like, hey, if you show up between two and four o'clock, the store manager is here and you've got an open interview. So, you know, you're not talking like during the recession years or back in, you know, 2008, 2009, uh, where it was a lot tougher. You know, people were already being laid off and this and that. I mean, you've got a, especially a lot of your service industry now. I mean, they're all paying 18, 19, 20 dollars an hour. You know, you go down to the local Burger King here and they're starting you off at like 1895 an hour. You know, now I get it. You know, you're not making 100 K a year. But if you're in that position like Josh is talking about. Uh, hey, that's where you start, right? And so it would be nice to have some type of roadmap to go there. I'm just, I think that that percentage, and I don't know this any more than um, any more than what Josh is saying. I don't know the statistics behind it. I, I would imagine that's that's very a very very small percentage. So when you look at the crazies, and and that's part, maybe that's the answer. You know, you bring back uh, the mental institutions, uh, but then you know, what do you do with the people that aren't necessarily crazy and don't want to work? And I just say it because when you look at places that have literally thousands of homeless, I mean, dude, Luke, I don't know when the last time you've been through Phoenix and like Glendale and Southside. I mean, it is crazy, man. It, 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 it's, it is like little San Francisco or little L.A. Uh, with these towns. So now you're talking about thousands of homeless and, you know, even 10 percent of that. Right. Or 20 percent of that or whatever. So I do think it would be a good pairing with the kennels. Uh, you just have to have some type of, of roadmap to, to get them to where they're self-sufficient can actually start providing, you know, back into the system. I think for, again, for the population that, that doesn't want to work, I mean, that's going to come down to the cities specifically, you know, your city, county, whatever, passing, passing laws, passing policies that just make it untenable for them to stay there. And, you know, eventually if they run out of places to go, 
they're going to, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to do something. I guess I'm going to have to work, right? Uh, because you just, you Maybe just keep uh, moving them. I mean, just don't let them set up, yeah, right? Just yeah, keep moving them. Just keep moving them. And, you know, again, you, you know, you do like, you know, some of the states have done. Just make it untenable for, okay, I can't live in this state because of, you know, X. Like, I can't do that. You know, if you made it to where, you know, because I forget which city did it. Uh, they made basically, you know, like sleeping on the sidewalk was a crime that you could go to jail for. And so it's like, okay. I mean, do we put all the homeless people in jail? No. I mean, I think that's, uh, I think that's a little excessive. But you just, you know, city ordinances and stuff. Guess what? You can't live here. You can't establish a camp under an overpass. Right? I mean, it's, you know, you, you just can't do it. Um, so... But I think, you know, a, a multitude of that is what, as far as the dogs go, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't know that until Luke just brought it up. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe it does. I'd like to see the percentage of people who, you know, get a homeless people who get a dog and, you know, actually turn their life around. But like you said, you know, what's the path to success? What's the desired end state? You know, it goes back to the question I try and ask every time we're on a whiteboard or, you know, trying to work through something, you know, cause everybody, you kind of, you start going down rabbit holes and you, you know, you, you start running down all these, all these other things, and you, but it's got to come back to, you know, you got to ask yourself, what problem are we trying to solve right now? And, you know, okay, what problem are we trying to solve? Are we trying to get them off the street temporarily? Like just get them in a room. Okay. Yeah. You can open up a hotel and, you know, shove them all in there. There's plenty of these little roadside motels, that have been, you know, they're shut down and, you know, nobody uses them anymore because, you know, they built the interstate and now it bypasses, you know, whatever road, pick one. And, uh, yeah, you can shove them in there. Okay. Now what, you know, what's the desired end state for these folks? Uh, I don't know. You got any other, uh, uh maybe we can, maybe we can work on solving world hunger next, Roger. Uh, <laughs> well, real quick with the dogs. <laughs> so with the dogs in the, in the, the uh, involuntary commitment, right, uh, mental institutions, open them back up, all that stuff. You know, one, back in the 70s, there was a movement. That's when the movement started to start closing them all down. And one of the things that added to that was famous Jack Nicholson movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That really opened people's eyes. And, and there, were, there were a few movies back then about just the dreadful conditions in, in insane asylums, as they called them back then. Uh, sanitariums, whatever they called them. But I do, although I do think that we should relook mental institutions and involuntary commitment, I hesitate slightly on that because of what we're always talking about, the slippery slope, right? Well, that's a fallacy. Whatever. I don't trust the government enough, especially the federal government, to have any say on involuntary commitment. Because follow the slippery slope down, all three of us, you know, if they had the power to do that, would be labeled as crazy during COVID for saying some saying some of the stuff we said. I shouldn't have said the C word. And we might have been involuntary committed. My mind always goes to what's the worst case scenario? Who's really crazy? Josh says it a lot, you know, with the with the red flag law stuff, which I, I agree with. You look at the, you know, you, you understand what I'm saying. So I do think that that is a that's some some tricky ground to to navigate. Uh, I, I did realize, and I posted on Twitter, that, dude, it's so simple with the cocaine. It's like all of these bits of facts that we know all come together. And it's like, wow, it just occurred to me. It wasn't Hunter Biden's coke. 
It was the dog commander's coat. That dog's all coked up, biting Secret Service agents, man. Hey, man, when you're on coke, it brings out, you know, it, it, it elevates your personality. That's what Bill Cosby said. It elevates your personality. And Bill Cosby said, yeah, but what if you're an asshole? Well, what's a German Shepherd's <laughs> natural personality? That's a freaking attack dog, bro. So, yeah, it was, it was freaking commander's cocaine. So I remember you saying something about that. What did the dog bit? A Secret Service. Oh yeah, dude. Been the, dog, a lot of you, you dog, the dog's been biting. You know, I don't watch the news. <laughs> the dog's been biting Secret Service agents, sending them to the hospital. It's happened like eight times or ten times to seven victims. Like Holy some cow. of it requiring hospital visits, and it's like that sparked a lot of stuff. And it's, uh, you know, we can talk about the big guy, but man, I mean, come on. And, and a reporter asked a really cool question to. Uh, KJP, she said, hey, look, Washington City ordinance states, you know, that if a dog, you know, X, Y, and Z, that dog has to be taken away because we're not talking about people here. We're talking about dogs that can be involuntary committed if they're a, a menace to society. And KJP had some dumb answer. It wasn't even slick like Jen Psaki's were. It wasn't, it wasn't even slick. It's like, dude, you're, I mean, according to any other sane law, this dog would be put down. I mean, Josh and Roger, correct me if I'm wrong, but the assault dogs were good for three bites, and then they were just uncontrollable. They had to retire them after three bites. And the best dog handle in yeah. the world will tell you that. Once a dog draws blood more than once, a human blood, good luck. So anyway, so yeah, we could talk about that more. But so now nah, I'll, I'll, I'll save that for another episode. I was going to have another point of dogs, but I'll save it for another episode. Something. Go that's ahead, ongoing. shoot, man. Because I'm going to ask you to talk about the bully breeds. Bully, well, yeah, that's a tough one too. Because some some of those bully, some of those pit bulls are so sweet, but man, oh man, I've seen some. I've seen some. That's bad, a sensitive topic with stuff. a lot of people. Yeah, that's a sensitive topic. It's a, you know, it's a very sensitive topic. But what's funny is that we've talked about, you know, we talked about abortion and everything on here. And we're like, oh, bully breed stuff. We can't touch that one. That one, oh, man, that might upset some people. <laughs> you, know what it, you know what it is, though? It's a sensitive topic because those that defend those breeds are good dog owners, right? That's that's the thing. They're good dog owners. They're, their pets are trained. They're on a leash, this and that. And so it's like, yeah, it's a great dog, da 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 But at the end of the day, it's like, hey, man, when's the last time you heard you know, of, of a border collie you know, mauling some four-year-old, right? Exactly. Never. Well, dude, I – yeah. I might, my good, my, our boy Scott, who listens to this podcast, I think I said this earlier on another episode. Boy Scott blasted a bully in the head on his street in suburban Fort Worth, Texas, because it had a poodle in its mouth and was killing it, like killing it. And as soon as it was done with that poodle, it was going to turn on somebody else. Scott tells his wife, Get the gun, give me the gun. She gives him the gun, and he just walks up and just caps that thing. And I Holy mean, cow. I mean, and it was like that's in a neighborhood. Nobody knows who the, I, I, it was. You know, they're dangerous. It's an instinct, right? <laughs> it's a it. That, those dogs have been bred. I don't care how good that dog is. That instinct is still in there. It's still in there, and it's waiting for a trigger. Nature put that instinct in there, and you ain't getting rid of it. That that dog may go its whole life and never have that trigger. And those are the people who really love their dogs. Because I've seen the sweetest bulldog, uh, pit bulls ever. Just the sweetest dogs. But at the same time, it's like, man, you are playing with fire. You're playing with fire. Yep. Uh, 
I, and I think that's unfortunate. I think it's unfortunate. I think the best course of action is to breed them slowly out of existence. Cross them with something else, you know, like the puggle, you know, part, part beagle, part pug, you know, make them into something <laughs> like that. Where The poodle just has some curly cues coming just, out everywhere. Just breed it out of them, man. Just breed it out. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you know, what else is a, is a, is a dangerous dog is a, is Dalmatians. Yes. Dude, you don't see them anymore. Yeah, there's. Oh, we saw one the other day, right. but you, they're very rare. Very rare. They're dumb. They're dumb too. Yeah. So they're I will. Dumb. I will tell the dog thing. I will tell the dog thing. Uh, my wife. Uh, whatever. We we've got a situation where we're going to need another dog very soon because one of our dogs is very attached to the other, and the other is is maybe has a year left. She's getting that old, and we're afraid. When that when the older one goes, that the the younger one is going to go into a spiral of depression. <laughs> he's already moving slower because he sees her moving, and she's kind of like the mom to him, you know. And he mimics her personality. So my wife and I are like, you know, and we talked about getting another dog. We talked about getting a uh, a, uh, a corgi, right? I talked about it on the show. But my wife saw these dogs at the local shelter, and she's like, "Let's go look at them. I think this might be the one." You know, these these little puppies. And they look like they're, you know, have some uh, border collie in, not border collie, uh, but like some kind of shepherd, small shepherd, Australian shepherd, right? Cute little puppies. And I'll tell you what, man, you go to a shelter, or at least me, if you're a dog person, I'm not the type that, that, that poops all over people who get pure breed dogs from people, from breeders, right? I understand. But going to that shelter and seeing those dogs, it's like, I can't, I have to get one of these. It's just, it's too hard. I mean, it, first, first of all, it's cheaper, but second, it's too difficult to watch that. All those dogs and those people trying as hard as they can to be a no kill shelter. And so we're going to, we're going to, I think we're going to adopt this little puppy and they, they do a good job of vetting people. I mean, there were a couple of meth hits that came out to that, to came out, who came out to the, the shelter while we were there. And I was just like, geez, but I'm confident that they, they, they vet them well enough not to let a meth head have a dog. So I'm thinking I'm going to name this dog. Because I get to decide. It's Michelle's dog, but I get to name it. I think, y'all tell me what you think about this name. Because we love the name Scout, but it's like Roger's already got a Scout. We like the name Bear, but, you know, Josh has got a Bear. So we're kicking around some names, and my wife's like, what about this? What about that? I'm like, nah, nah, nah. How about this? Sarge. Sarge. Full name Sergeant, but Sarge. I think that's a cool name for a dog. You don't like it? Sounds just like it. it's, 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 it's the name that a vet would give a dog. Hey, man, name, name your dog. <laughs> just you want to name oh. your dog. I think Sarge is cool. As long as you take cool. care of it, which I know you will, as and long if, as you take care of it. If he's smart, whatever. If he's smart and can do tricks like those Australian shepherds can, I'm going to teach him to do the cover the head thing. You know how they do that? They'll cover their head. You see those videos? I'm going to teach him to do that. And I'm going to tell my daughter it's a salute. And I'm going to have a command. So when my daughter comes to visit Sarge, he's got a saluter. I think that'd be cool, oh, man. Lord. I think that'd be cool, man. What's wrong with you guys? Oh, Lord. No, man, that'd be awesome. Name your dog Sarge and teach him to do that. I will. <laughs> I, I will. F you, man. I will. <laughs> well, I, told, I, I agree with you. I said, I said, you know, it's your dog. You do what you want. Now, I agree on the uh, on the shelter thing. Uh, we've always gotten, you know, all of our animals have come from, you know, they're all rescues. And, uh, but, you know, I, I, I don't fault people who, you know, go and buy pure breeds like me, you know, my sister and, and brother-in-law, they have a pure breed chocolate lab, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a great dog. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, he's crazy because they haven't got him neutered yet. But he's absolutely insane. But, you know, <laughs> he's, a, he's a good dog. Yeah. I I don't mean, it, you know, you go to a shelter and, yeah, you, you see the conditions that the dogs are in. You're like, I got to like, I gotta get one. And, you know, your wife's right, uh, you know, in the sense of the best time to get, you know, a dog or a cat is, you know, when your older one you know, starting to get reached that age to where it's like, hey, man, like it could, you know, it, it's getting close. But you get them, you get that puppy in and that older one can teach them, okay, this is how you, you know, this is how you're a dog. This is how to be a dog. This is how to be a cat. Yeah. You know, this is how you use a litter box, this, you know, stuff like that. So, and they That's actually huge. Do. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 I didn't understand it um, until, you know, my wife explained it to me with cats because we didn't have, we didn't have cats growing up. Uh, but now we, you know, we have an old cat, Comet. I mean, he's old. We don't know exactly how old he is because when we got him, he was a couple of years old. And that was, I mean, he was like, well, I'd say a couple. He was probably three, four year olds, three or four when we got him. And we got him in 2009. And I mean, he's, like, he's up there, uh, you know, in age. But, you know, we got a, a, you know, a kitten here two years ago now, I think. Yeah, about two. And, you know, he's kind of showed, he, he showed her the ropes and, mm. you know, this is, this is how you, this is how to act right, uh, as my grandmother would say. So the real and, reason, uh, I think, I think the real reason, Roger, if you were curious about why we're talking about animals so much on this episode is because we got, after last episode, specifically like the last 20 minutes, we got death threats from like PETA and all these animal groups about, you know, us <laughs> wanting to choke slam a polar bear and, you know, pandas need to be eradicated from the face of the planet so we promised we were like hey if you'll, you'll take it easy on us uh and, and take away your restraining order uh we'll, we'll do a nice long segment about how much we love animals <laughs> so you know what i did listen to the last episode and it was pretty cool i actually had to do you know i started doing some gurgling in this net one i i, I agree with you i mean uh, we've, we've had both, we've had some kennel dogs and, you know, pure breeds and, and, in Maryland, dude, like trying to get a kennel dog, it was just impossible. You just couldn't do it. I mean, it, it, it was easier to go like, you know, buy a new house than it was to get a dog. It's like, okay, I can go to the pound or not the pound, but you know, the pet store, pay my two or $300 and walk out in 20 minutes, or I have to schedule a visit, go through a background check, wait, you know, six weeks. And then it's like, well, okay, I'm just going to go pay the money to, you know, to do it. But that's one of the reasons why I can't volunteer at a kennel. Cause if I volunteer at a kennel, dude, I'm coming home with a dog probably like every other day. Right. That's why I just, I can't, I would, I would, there's nothing more. I would love to, to, to go down and donate my time to a kennel, but I, I would come home with, with all sorts of pets. But on your last episode. So I, you know, and I, I think I put this in the Slack channel. And I like what Josh said with the whole uh, black bear, brown bear, white bear, whatever it is. Could either of you legitimately lay down and play dead <laughs> if, if a brown bear is it's brown lay down, right? So yeah. do you think that you could legitimately, do you think your body and, and your mind would legitimately allow you to lay down and play dead uh, with a brown bear coming at you? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't think so. Like I, I really don't. There's a dude. There's a great YouTube video. There was a uh, a hunting god, uh, obviously not the one who got eaten by the uh, by the grizzly, <laughs> uh, but there was a hunt. He was a hunting god, and he was out, you know, scouting and stuff because he has some clients, you know, coming in soon. He wanted to, you know, make sure that they were able to, uh, you know, get some shots on on some big game, and he, you know, talked through. 
and he actually video part of it with his phone and he this dude's all balled up on the ground and this brown bear is literally you know kind of you know pawing at him and you know he's you know you can hear him snorting around him you know his head and stuff like that and this dude's just laying there and he's you know i mean he's freaking out right i mean he's like you know oh my god oh my god oh my god yeah i'm gonna die you know blah blah like you know just go away you know i mean he's he he's He's doing, you know, what I would do, uh, you know, but I would add in, you know, I'd probably poo on myself and, you know, everything <laughs> that takes, I mean, dude, that takes a level of intestinal fortitude. I don't know that I have, <laughs> you know, but it, it I, did. Man. I'd die run. I'd die running, you know? Yeah. I mean, dude, I, I just, I don't know that I could do that. I mean, cause that would be like, I would be terrified. Absolutely terrified. So yeah, I don't know. Luke, you, I, Honestly, I don't, I don't think so. I, I don't, I, you know what? Maybe it would depend on the situation, right? Like if it was open prairie and there is no, cause you can't run faster than a bear. Okay. You can't run, swim or climb faster than a bear. But I might think maybe I could climb faster than a bear cause I weigh less. Maybe you couldn't get up that high. So if I was in woods and <laughs> maybe if, if I had the opportunity to climb, maybe I, maybe I would climb. But if I felt like, you know what, this thing's going to catch me. Maybe I'd try it. I don't know. Probably. I don't know, dude. I try to reason with the bear. You know? <laughs> Josh is like, so Luke is going to die too. As he's sitting there yeah. like, do I run? Do I lay down? Do I run? Do I yeah. Indecision. Yeah. It's more too, is lost by late. indecision. But dude, you ain't outrunning <laughs> a bear. You're not outrunning a bear. It ain't going to happen. No. And like, you but, can't run in zigzags like, you know, you're being chased <laughs> by an alligator. That don't work either. <laughs> well, and then I had to look up the tiger thing. So tiger, you know, an apex predator, but, uh, it does have some things that, that kill it, that, that will actively hunt it. So, uh, and I've seen this one on a couple, but, uh, you know, they talk about alligators, boas, bears, crocodiles. And have you ever heard, and I'm assuming this is how you pronounce it, D holes? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're talking to two of them right now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've heard doles. I guess it's doles, right? But it's, uh, it's D-H-O-L-E-S. But I guess they're they're fox like, and I guess in packs they literally like hunt tigers. I'm not sure how common it is, but I was just kind of surprised. Are they like honey? Ba- are they are, are they like honey badgers or something? No, dude. When I looked at it, I'm like, this thing looks like it weighs 15. Google. Do, do they? I, I'm looking at it right now. Do they hunt like do they try to get like baby tigers or something? It's a little, little I, tiny. That's what I'm thinking. I'm guess it's either uh, a tiger that's lame or maybe a baby. Yeah, because yeah. they don't look very big. But dude, but I mean, pack I, animals. I hey. get that with the snakes too. But like with a boa, like a boa could take a baby tiger, no problem, right? I mean, that's a that's a mid morning snack. But no, no boa constrictor is not taking a full grown tiger. Yeah. Uh, mm. So I think you know, but if you have a big enough pack, bro, if enough, if there were enough aggressive seven year olds, they could take you down and beat you to death if they were aggressive enough and with their bare hands. So, I mean, if you had enough of them, I guess maybe, if they were just one tiger. You know, seven-year-olds beating me up and killing me. <laughs> if you had 50 seven-year-olds, they would. 50. Dude, 50 I think seven might be gonna young. Take, bro, it's going to take young. at least a couple hundred. <laughs> Dude, you, you've been to Honduras. You've seen those kids. You've been to Afghanistan, man. Oh, There's some well, seven-year-olds that could take the rock. 
Well, okay, so so yeah, so we need to caveat that. Like, how like seven year? Are we talking about like American seven year olds? No. Are we talking about yeah? We talking about some El Salvadorian seven year olds? Yeah, that's what I mean. Just yeah. So yeah, qualifying (laughs) is is important because you know you know fifty seven year olds from you know Prosper Elementary School at you know North Dallas, they're not going to be able to take no no. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. So yeah, good good point. (laughs) 50, 57 year olds from Comiagua, Honduras. Okay, yeah, I might have a problem. Yeah. Like, I might not make it. <laughs> yeah. <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> like Burmese, Burmese kids. Four. Oh. Tougher than one could probably take you. Or be. 50, 50, 50 Gurkhas. That'd be legit. Dude, that'd be a hell of a little platoon right there. Indestructible. <laughs> Dude, how do we do that? How many seven-year-olds would it take to beat up Josh? <laughs> well, it depends on where they're from, you know. Yeah, it depends on where they're from. I mean, you know, not all seven-year-olds are created equal. Let's just, you know, I mean, let's, you know. You got to ask these questions and then they'd have to think like. Because you never know. make a difference? Yeah, you just never know, man. Depends on where they're That's from. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Hey, if you're going to send 57-year-olds after me to, you know, hunt me down like Jason Bourne, you better, you better make sure you got the right ones. <laughs> so I know Roger. Roger wants to. I don't. Oh God, you got to want to talk don't about do it. Hunter. Don't do it. Can we talk about Hunter? Oh no, God. Okay. Well, because you haven't been watching the news, you may not know what's going on. And I, Roger, that's very, that's very true. Did you want to talk about that, or you got some other, you know, Dude, solving world we hunger? Or I, I haven't mentioned the T word like in the last three episodes. Cur- so uh, cure cancer or. Go for it. I, I think Devin Archer thing, right? I mean, we don't know the fallout from that, but Devin Archer came and testified. Well, I don't know if he – do you say that he testified on the Hill when it was behind closed doors? I don't know what the – I don't know testify what Testify behind right, closed doors, I guess. Testify, and is it actually testifying? Is he under oath if he meets them behind closed doors? I think I'm so. assuming, right? Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. So then let me ask you this. So, and, you know, at first I was kind of like, ah, uh, this might be a GOP thing, but – not trying to get too far in the weeds uh, on on X, the the new Twitter, right? The X, um, they the Democrats bring up a pretty valid reason, man. Because I'm like, why would you not have Devin Archer testifying, like in public? I mean, to me, dude. And this is the thing: we've all said it. Whatever the case is, I don't care who it is. With the dude, if you've got the heat, you got the receipts, bring them. I'm tired of the left or right, you know, it's like, oh, we've got this and you got Grassley and the recordings and this and that. And yet, hey, dude, if you got them, play them. If not, then just shut up. Like, I don't want to hear about it. Right. So it makes me wonder with Devin Archer that and and I do think somebody got to him. I, I believe that because. My, so my initial take, I was wondering why he did not testify in public, why the GOP didn't have him testify in public. Um, I don't know if he was initially scheduled to do it behind closed doors or whatever, but the DOJ, right, wanted Devin Archer to go to jail to start serving his one-year sentence. And then all of a sudden over the weekend, I think it was like a Saturday, they wrote a letter saying, no, let him go testify. And so then it makes me wonder, you know, the Democrats start thinking, well, the GOP doesn't want him to testify in public uh, because then you'll have transcripts, you'll have video, and then we can debunk everything of what he said. Uh, then the other side of me says, well, the GOP might have known that Devin Archer was going to flip because who knows what can happen with, with charges against him. He's already got to do one year. Uh, they can definitely bring up additional charges on him. 
Uh, so maybe the GOP is saying, hey, we don't necessarily want to be embarrassed on a public forum. But I think what was very telling of this, and it's kind of crazy because as he's testifying, there are snippets coming out that make it sound like it's pretty bad, you know, against, you know, him, Hunter and, and Joe. But then Andy Biggs, who conservative, he's from my district, uh, Freedom Caucus guy. They catch him walking to the car and they're like, hey, did uh, did he testify that he knew about bribes to Joe? Paraphrasing. And he was like, nope, didn't say anything about it. And then I'm starting to read some of that fallout. And at that point, it's like, OK, well, you got him on 20 phone calls or so that, that he was on, on you know, Joe Biden was on the line with Hunter and, and everybody else. But at the end of the day, if there's no pay to play, like, I don't think there's anything there, right? I mean, that, that's just, you know, I, I get your, your take on why he didn't testify in public. And then at the end of the day, if you don't have him accepting some bribe or making some decision based off of something, you know, quid pro quo, then it's a big nothing burger. No, I agree. And I think the other, you know, and I think the other reason they didn't want him to testify in public, especially from the GOP side, and you kind of alluded to it, they didn't know what he was going to say. They weren't one hundred percent sure of what he's going to throw out. They have him testify in public, and it's a nothing burger. Yeah, man, that's it. That's a wrap. And you know, but they they do it in private. They release some snippets to get everybody riled up, you know, and stuff. Um, dude, Devin Archer. Somebody got to Devin Archer. He didn't want to talk. You notice they didn't ask, uh, what's his name, Bulawiski, Bulawiski, whatever his Bobulinski. name is. Bobulinski. They didn't ask him yeah. to come testify, right? Because, you know, Devin Archer, he didn't want to get Tafari Campbell. He's like, I don't even own a paddleboard. All right? So <laughs> you, ain't, you ain't getting, you ain't, hey, man, you ain't getting me. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, man. But, it, again, it, I'm with you, Roger. If you have the receipts, let's just go ahead and lay them out and, and, and see them. Could, if could, not, then just shut up. Roger, could you give – because I'm sure not everyone is is following this. Would you be able to give like a 90-second recap on who Devin Archer is and why we're talking about him testifying? Well, he was one of the business guys with, with Hunter. And so he was part of the whole Burisma deal and firing the, the prosecutor over there. And, and so he was the one that was kind of like – brokering all these deals right so i guess he was his number one business partner uh so he was obviously you know he was privy to a lot of stuff probably everything and you know my take on it is this he's close to hunter he knows who hunter's dad is so i think he is another go-between even though they're business partners like hey i know luke's got contacts so i'm going to go to my contacts in ukraine uh and and burisma and say, hey, my buddy Luke, you know, he's in touch. You know, he's a Fed. He does this and that and, and you know, whatever. Uh, so educated guess, I think that's how their relationship kind of uh, the business relationship went. Um, and with that, I think for everything that we've heard with this, as well as other other testimony, is that it's pretty clear that Hunter was using his relationship with, they called it the brand, Right. Hey man, you know dad's uh, dad's vice president, and he can you know he's got a whole lot of swag. So Devin Archer and Hunter were cutting these deals. What's unclear is yeah, influence peddling. What's unclear is were there decisions directly made? Which I think you can say yes. I mean, just so that with uh, Joe Biden, vice president at the time, bragging about firing the prosecutor uh, in Ukraine. 
That I think we know happened for a fact. Can you tie it to anything, any type of money, receipts, funds, or whatever? I, I, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know you. I don't know if I'm answering your question. That's kind of the gist of it. Um, you know, Hunter's dad and and the influence peddling. But at the end of the day, and this is what makes it tough is Ukraine still needs money from the U.S. And let's not pretend uh, the Ukrainian government is not corrupt at some levels, if not all levels. Uh, let's not pretend that Ukrainian businesses are not corrupt at all levels. So with Ukraine still needing money from the U.S., you know, to me, the real smoking gun is over in Ukraine, and you'll never see it. We'll never see it. We'll never see it until the GOP takes control and a Republican president and this and that. But even then, I think as we've seen over the last, you know, four years prior to to Joe, I don't know you ever find it then. Because, you know, it's like we sent out a tweet the other day. The minute that you find the minute that you realize that 100 percent of the Democrat Party and 75, if not 80 percent of the Republican Party are on the same side, everything makes sense. Because believe me, they're not the only ones to take money. Guarantee it. Right. Yeah, dude. You're not gonna. You're never gonna see the corruption come out of Ukraine unless, you know, Zelensky has a moment and decides that okay, Joe Biden's not giving me what I want, and he's you know he's he's crawfishing on the bet. Then Zelensky's like, okay, well here you go. Here's here's the receipts. Here's where the bodies are buried. But I don't see that happening because, like you said, Joe Biden's not the only one that's got stuff tied up in Ukraine. Lindsey Graham and all these other war hawks that are like, no, give Ukraine what they want. Just give them what they want. Give them what they want. Everybody use Ukraine as a piggy bank and a washing machine. Not just, you know, not just the Bidens. It was, you know, it was everybody. And I don't know that you'll ever see that because neither side will, will, will allow it. Rand Paul would have to be president. Yeah. 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 And that's never, and that's never, and and that's never going to happen. Nope. Um, or Joe Manchin, you know, I would say right. even I'd say even Joe Manchin would would uh, might might go the Rand Paul way with it, but it would take an outsider, right? And not an outsider, but an idealist type outsider who 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 doesn't care. And you know RFK maybe <laughs> RFK Jr. But dude, it's uh, it's disheartening. And again, it, it, I think it's blackpilling a lot of uh, a lot of folks uh, out there, a lot of normal folks. And hopefully those normal folks are actually following the news and, and just giving it the initial sniff test and being like, oh, my God. Yeah, this this dude's corrupt. How, how can you I, – It's I, a lot of it is circumstantial. There's no hard evidence right now, but the circumstantial evidence is so overwhelming that although he couldn't be – you know, uh, the preponderance of evidence would not – of actual evidence might not convict the Bidens in a court of law. The circumstantial is just too much. It would win a civil suit. You know what I'm saying? It's that type of it's that type of evidence where it's the reasonable person sniff test, right? That we always talked about back in the day doing intelligence operations. Like it would a reasonable person say this is good or bad. The Joe Sixpack test, in other words. And man, it, it, people, unless you're just completely brainwashed with a cognitive dissonance level at 11 on a scale of 10, I don't see how you you don't see that he's crooked. And, you know, I'm not I'm not going to talk about Trump. But come on, let's be honest. I mean, Trump's got some skeletons in his closet, too. You know, it's like we can we can sniff this stuff out. And Joe Biden is not doing a good job. I, I, I don't know. I think they're banking on, you know, I thought I think I posted in the Slack. I definitely told you guys maybe this is the first salvo 
from the DNC of we're going we're gonna to make this guy get out of the race. We want, you know, uh, Gavin Newsom or Michelle Obama, whoever it is. We've got somebody waiting in the wings ready to go. This guy's not going to win. But I think that they are they have all their eggs and the Trump will be the nominee basket. And we believe that even Joe Biden can beat Trump in the next election. I so I don't know if the if the Democrats are going to throw him under the bus. I keep pressing mute on accident. Sorry, Roger. Um, I don't know that they're going to ever throw him under the bus. They may just wheel that old corpse up to run again. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, and it, with Ukraine also, I think it's hilarious. I think both of you guys are right. Uh, nothing's ever going to come out of there unless kind of what, what Josh was saying, unless the unthinkable happens. But even then, you know, he'd be dead before he, he did anything by our own hand, U.S.'s own hand. But um, you sure don't see a lot of positive news coming out of Ukraine lately. Um, as far as the war going, because it looks like, you know, we called it really early on. It's going to be a slog for the Russians because that's how they do battle. Uh, you see all these counteroffensives. I mean, how many counteroffensives have there been over the past three months? There's been a ton. They were supposed to separate the lines down to the Black Sea. And, you know, that's going to be the end of the Russians. And it's just like, to me, it looks like objectively, the Russians are slowly gaining ground like we said they would way back in the day. So I don't know. I mean, I don't want to go down the, the Ukraine rabbit hole, but uh, <laughs> there, there's so much more to talk about with the Bidens too. I mean, it's just a dirtbag, irredeemably horrible shit show. I don't know how else to say it. You know, and maybe there's, maybe Josh or Roger, maybe there is a little truth to the whole Dark Brandon thing. For those of you out there who don't know what Dark Brandon is, you remember Let's Go Brandon, you remember all that, F Joe Biden, all that stuff, and, you know, certain portions of the left on the Twitter sphere and, and Instagram where it's like, oh, we're going to embrace this Brandon thing, and we're going to say that Joe Biden, we're going to call him Dark Brandon with his, you know, cool aviator sunglasses and all this stuff. He plays the feeble old man. Dark Brandon plays the feeble old man, but in the background, he's scheming. He's scheming, and he's actually, you know, this super powerful. He's got, he's 40 chess. He's, he's really actually got it together. The whole old man thing is a play to take your eye off the ball that he's actually running stuff. But with all this corruption, maybe over the years, there has been something to this whole dark Brandon thing. No the way. Guy, Dude, you, there are but he's a criminal. Morons. When you yeah, look at right. between him, right. Kamala Harris and KJP, those have to be like the three dumbest executives and press secretaries that, that, I've ever, you know, in my lifetime, KJP is horrible. She, she is horrible. And you know what? I blame the press because the way she talks to them with the disdain and the, I've already answered. No, you actually didn't answer that. And you know what? Until the press pool, uh, you know, grows a set and actually comes together and says, no, we're going to start holding you accountable, which they won't. Uh, you know, you're never going to get anything. You'll never get anything because each of them individually are worried that, well, we're going to lose access. You know, like when they kicked Acosta out, you know, uh, back in the day. Oh, we don't want to lose access. But you know what? You come together and you press her on the questions. And, hey, okay, you want to end this today? Well, when you come out tomorrow, this is the very first question we're leading off on. And we will continue to lead off on this until you start giving us some answers. You yeah. know, but they won't do it. They won't do it. It's just like, you know, you brought up the RFK thing. It's funny because uh, AP News put out an article today. And they were basically uh, debunk. They called RFK an anti-vaxxer uh, and, and, and specifically said – you know, uh, that he believes that autism, 
uh, is linked to the vaccine. Now, they clearly, unlike us, did not listen to any of his interviews or anything like that. Again, I'm not an RFK fan, okay? But here's the thing. There are facts out there. So if you're going to tell me that, then debunk them and provide your sources and citations. So I looked up the, the uh, article, the lady who won the $1.5 million that could be up worth the $20 million for the vaccine, uh, autism vaccine linkage. Uh, and, you know, I shot it over to the lady at the AP. It was like, hey, you got any comments? It's like we've gotten to a, a spot where, and both of you have said this before, even the journalists, they don't read anything. It's the same narrative that just keeps getting spun over and over and over. And, and, you know, especially sitting there for three days going through the RFK interview, just what I heard on, on the Joe Rogan show. It's like these people didn't take five minutes to debunk any of it. Hey, that's fine. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Tell me it's wrong because of this. And show me the citation. I'm like, I literally just linked an article where she was awarded, you know, $1.5 million off the, off the head. Uh, worth up to more than $20 million for the link uh, with vaccines and autism. Right? We're going to get so pulled I mean, again. Like, we're going to get pulled again. I'm just telling nah, you. We're going to get pulled again. Yeah. Well, I didn't say the C word. I know, but you're talking, about, you're talking about V <laughs> word and A word together in the same sentence. Yeah, because we can't even comment on it, man. You make a comment on it and then you, you get banned. All right. Okay. So, All right. So let's make a bet real quick. I'm sorry to derail you. It just occurred to me because I, everything you said is right. But because of the, the algorithm and everything, it'll get pulled. So are we betting that, first of all, the first bet is, will we get pulled? I'm going to say yes. And the second yeah, bet probably. is, what's what's the over-under on the amount of hours this thing's on YouTube? I'm going to go over 12, but under 24. Well, last time it didn't make – when did it go last time? You said it was uh, like nine it, hours, right? Yeah. I'm going to say it's going to go over 12 because since – yeah. And I think it was only, I think it only went that far because we drop it at like three o'clock in the morning. So like the first six hours don't even count. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Josh, what do you think? I mean, as long as we're getting pulled, go, we might. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to go eight to 12, eight to 12 hours. Okay. It's pulled. Done. Well, you know what? And that takes me to the next topic. We were chatting <laughs> about this earlier because oh, it's going to get pulled because the white house has guidance out there that we know. We know they are they they are in communication with big tech, social media, saying you need to pull this data down. Yeah. Even factual data that they're like, hey, this kind of hurts the narrative. Take it down. Yeah. I mean, they have direct emails. So, Josh, I mean, you know, I, I was we were talking about earlier. Like, why don't people care? Like, what is the deal? Like, I would be, like I said in the text, you know, for our listeners out there, it's like it's a little bit different for those of us that watch the news all the daggum time. Because we watch a bunch of different sources. We kind of do our own due diligence. We're fortunate enough to have that kind of time where we have these discussions. But I would be pissed if I was the, you know, typical commuter that maybe I just don't have the time. And so I rely on Twitter. Or I rely on some podcasts. Or I rely on even Facebook or whatever the case is uh, for news to sit there and know that the White House is censoring that information. I mean, that would piss me off. But, dude, Fox has played this, you know, 20, 30 times. Nobody cares. It's not even a blip out there. No. Well, first off, people need to come to my favorite source for news, which is Culper's Canteen Cup podcast music. Like that. I mean, that you want news? This is where you need to come. This the ones that don't get banned and taken down. Exactly. This should be your launch pad. Uh, you know why people don't care? And, you know, I've said this before. and Because the majority of Americans don't want freedom. They just want to be safe. The majority of Americans 
our peas. And we, you know, we, we've gone on and on about this. It just, nothing has changed since 1775. Nothing. There is only a very small percentage of Americans who actually want freedom, who actually care about their government becoming too powerful and too large. The, the rest of Americans, they just want Starbucks to have their favorite drink when they show up. That's all they want. They, you know, they, they are the, well, let the, the police, you should let them in your house. I mean, if you have nothing to hide, then you should just let them in, right? That's the majority of Americans. That's the vast majority of Americans. And again, it's always been that way. We've just had events, you know, here and there that have, that have exposed that. COVID really exposed it, you know, for, for this generation. There we go. There's a C word. Now, now we're totally so, done. We're not even going to see no, the eight well, He's doing it on purpose because yeah, he already made the bet. That's like illegal <laughs> in most states. Like to, to, to make a bet and then try to alter the terms. I, I, he's doing it on purpose now. I know, right? I mean, I, I, I have complete faith and confidence in, you know, our editing team and our uh, post-production team to, to be able to mute some of these words out or maybe take some of these words out so it doesn't get pulled down. I know Luke doesn't have confidence in our post-production team, but <laughs> I do. I mean, because that guy, dude, our post-production team is Asian, and they're really good at this stuff. Oh. Uh, I, so, I hear I hear he's yeah. on a flight tomorrow, so we just got to, like, do that. Yeah. <laughs> dude. Like, we just take those words. We should have – there <laughs> should be – there should be – there's got to be some software somewhere that automatically, you know – the algorithm in the software like picks up keywords and just beefs them, right? I mean, it, there's got to be something out there. Because you know what? That's why they started offering closed captioning for free on the YouTube videos because that's how they're finding it. That's how oh. they get around it. Yeah, yeah. They offer it for free and they run it through and it says this combination of words and then we pull it. So you're going to find this episode recorded on Rumble. <laughs> That'll be so, our new yeah. platform. So real real quick so, point. Real quick point, Josh. Put a pin in that. Real quick point. It's very important that a lot of uh, – because we don't have as near as many YouTube viewers as we do well, whatever other platforms, Spotify or, or iTunes, whatever. We don't have near as many. But it's important that every once in a while you guys go over to YouTube so you can learn more about the three of us because a lot – you know. Uh, communication is only what uh, they say, 15% verbal, 85% nonverbal, right? And there's just things you pick up about people when you talk to them face-to-face. That's why I try to get across to all these remote workers. It's like, man, we've got to invest some time in getting face-to-face because you really learn a lot about people. Like, for instance, their ethnicity. And these days, ethnicity is an important thing, right? Let's be honest. It's important. Whether the left wants to admit it or not, it's, it's very important. And we actually had two... Just in the past week, since the last episode that I, uh, that I think Josh and I did one, and then Roger <laughs> before that, they're like, "I had no idea Roger was Asian until you said something." I'm like, "What?" Well, he, you know, he's he's half Asian. They're like, "Yeah, I had no idea." <laughs> I'm like, well, "You couldn't tell by his voice. <laughs> you 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 could." He sounded oh, white. He sounded maybe. white. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Well, you should maybe watch YouTube and. But even I mean. But I've always said Roger's a little bit ethnically ambiguous. But uh, yeah, Roger is, is half Korean. He's very proud. He but speaks the language. And, you know, you might have seen that if you watch YouTube. Maybe. That tells me that tells me that they are new listeners. No. Or they've cherry. 
or they cherry picked which yeah. episodes because Roger yes. has commented multiple times <laughs> on his Asian ethnicity, and I mean oh. he's commented. I, he's mentioned his he's mentioned his steel chopsticks at least five times on this podcast. At okay, so I'm, I'm going to call him out. Gotta. And Diego's really going to hate me for this. Because Diego is is a little bit ADHD. He really is. Dude is so ADHD. So I can see him zoning out and just missing certain parts. But Diego was one of the ones that's like, I had no idea Roger was Asian. And the other one was Gata. She told me today. She's like, I, I didn't know Roger was Asian. I'm like, you should know one of your own. I mean, Asia's a big-ass continent. And Gata's Asian, too. And she's probably going to be pissed at me for saying that. She, she's not Asian like Roger's Asian. She's Asian like Osama Bin Laden was Asian, if you know what I mean. she's gonna she's gonna love so i'm sorry for both of the listeners that uh, luke and josh have just alienated so we are (laughs) down to about four people that watch (laughs) this thing now and so i mean you know roger has mentioned multiple times roger's mentioned you know a lot of times that he's like well i can't be racist racist because i'm a minority yeah i mean that right there they never said in fairness they never said they thought he was white they might have thought he was black now I'm kind of curious. They, they might have thought was? he was Hispanic. They might have thought he was white. But there are more races than just Asian. But was <laughs> Let's it be fair? But was it based? Was was there assessment that he was not Asian based on his voice, or did they watch YouTube and say that dude's not Asian? Let's be you honest. Look at him. It's his voice. Okay. Yeah. I was about to say you look at Roger and you're like, okay, there's some there like there's some Asian continent in there, right? I mean, it's yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, th- this would definitely drive traffic to our YouTube channel. That's what we've lost here in about three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, because I mean, I, I made the joke. Even I, I made an inappropriate joke. As shocking as that, as shocking as that is, you know. And I think it was like the first six or seven episodes that we did. You know how people tell you, like, oh, if you get your electronics wet, put them in a bag of rice, and you know, it pulls a moisture out of them. That's not true. That's not true at all. You put them in a bag of rice, and the rice attracts the Asians who repair them for you. <laughs> oh, God, you said. <laughs> see, even I don't. Li- wow. Well, that's a, that's a, that, like the first six or seven episodes. Wow. He's just well, ensuring that we get the video pulled. Our, that's yeah. all he's doing. It's the it's the <laughs> cherry on top. Well, our it's sa- the coup de gras. Our sound was off, and see, and another one, another listener, Scott, asked me today. He, li- he finally got around to listening to the last episode. And I should pull up the text. He goes. Were you on the crapper when you were recording? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know our sound was a little off, you know. And he goes, okay, sound was off. Were you on the crapper when you were recording? I'm like, dude, if you were on YouTube, you would know I wasn't on the crapper. Maybe I was. Well, but it's no. tough though, right? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because we is. travel and and like myself and Josh, we have an entirely new setup when you travel. So it's like, hey, man, yeah. everybody remembers my crappy uh, headset up in Alaska. I mean, I, I was recording off my AirPods. It's like, hey, you either get crappy sound or you get no sound. I don't yeah. know, that's not the option because they might choose no sound. So you're just going to get crappy yeah. sound from from here on out. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Scott, for for powering through that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I what? mean it is because there is nothing worse than listening to something that has crappy sound, like like, like truly. Um, so yeah, our yeah. post production so, team does a great job. You know, but you know, like Roger said, man, sometimes we're traveling and it just it, you know it is what it is. Any other listeners you guys want to offend real quick so they just oh, go ahead trying and to think. cut it off and unsubscribe? I'm trying to think. Yeah. I, oh, God. So before we end, I'm I, I'm going to kick it over to y'all because I have to look something up because I told – I'll tell the story later, but I'm glad you said that, 
it's I'm going to do the opposite of offending later in the episode. So, what's next, Roger? Are we, are we closing out? I mean, we no, 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 no. Well, oh, you're we, like before we end, like, like. Well, yeah, because we got out. we got thirty minutes. Yeah, I, I, so I've got one. So it's uh, and we didn't even go into the Hunter Biden deal. We'll just throw that out there real quick. Basically, he went up in front of the judge, and they were like, "Hey, you know, this thing isn't like." Uh, like ultimate immunity for everything. And they were like, oh, that's right. It's not. He can still be charged. He's still under investigation. Nothing will come of it. They can still go back and do the plea deal. So he's back to doing what Hunter's been doing. Luke, I'll throw this at you. Why has AI, artificial intelligence, why is that blown up all of a sudden? Like you had chat GPT, right? And, and I get it. You know, I get it. You know, it was like it, it pulls from the internet and this and that. But like, all of a sudden, somebody flipped a switch, and it's like the, the, the liberal media. It's like all of a sudden, it is AI everywhere. AI is the greatest threat. AI is going to kill us all. It's Terminator, uh, all that all over again. It, this has all happened with like the last month. So what, what's the trigger for this thing? Is it ChatGPT? Was that the trigger? Yeah, it was OpenAI and ChatGPT was the trigger. But that, that's a good question because that, that makes me think. Why is it blowing up? Because I know there are applications out there. I know that some people are using them. In fact, I had a conversation with somebody today uh, who works with a person who um, has certain shortcomings in their uh, writing ability. They're a smart person, but they just haven't written a lot through their career, right? And that's that's a tough thing. That's a real thing. You see it every day. doesn't mean you're dumb. You just never learn to write, you know? And this person introduced uh, their colleague to an AI program that helps you do that. It's like spell checker on steroids, you know, and uh, it, it really helped. It really helped with uh, some of the official documents. So I do know that some people are using it. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I think, Roger, you've dabbled in a little bit. But, you know, when when uh, Josh was talking about the sound guy, I'm surprised that there aren't more. If, if AI is this big revolution that's going on right now, why aren't there Adobe Acrobat plugins for an AI, you know, app or whatever that will help you design these crappy covers that, you know, our, our visual uh, team uh, uh, designs, you know, I mean, I would think based on the level of hysteria and hype that it would be affecting us more quicker, right? Because, you know, you always, you watch these movies about the singularity and everything changes on a, on a dime, right? That's not happening. Everything hasn't changed on a dime because this has been going on for what two three months now, the Chat GPT and the Open AI, that's going to yep. change everything. So I'm getting to a point here, <laughs> slowly but surely. The listeners know how that is. It's it's a long hard slog with the Lukester. So it makes me wonder: is this taking longer than I think it's going to? And then all of a sudden, everything's going to take off. And it's going to change the world, like you know, in a matter of months, or. Is this a coordinated effort on the side of on the on behalf of a group of hedge funds or whatever that are heavily invested in AI to hype it? Uh, that might be it. You know, there could be a lot of not hedge funds, but you know, big investment houses. You know, uh, FTX uh, 2.0, which by the way, that guy had some of his charges. Uh, Sam Bankman Fried had some of his charges dismissed, which is doesn't mean all of them were dismissed. I think. I think people are thinking, well, all of them are dismissed. No, it's just campaign finance. But it could be yep. some kind of play, and I, I wouldn't put it past you know uh, 
some very smart, you know, investment houses out there to have, you know, a lot of these, uh, maybe some ETFs or something with a lot of these uh, AI startups and everything. I, I think it could be not necessarily a fraud, but a play on getting people to invest and in, 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 in blowing up the uh, the uh, the value of, of certain stocks out there. Could, could be that. But um, I, I'm not seeing, like, people keep saying AI. I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing advanced algorithms with incredible computing power is all I'm seeing. I'm not seeing sentient hardware or sentient software. I'm not seeing it. This is not true AI. It's just extremely advanced algorithms uh, with off the charts computing power, like processing power, uh, which is revolutionary, but it ain't AI, you know, whatever. So I, I don't know, Josh, I don't know if I answered your question, Roger. Um, Josh, do you, what do you think? I mean, because I have seen a lot of Terminator articles and, you know, it's going to take this over. It's going to take that over. I do see some pitfalls in it. I don't think we should rely on it too early. I think do think it should be proven. Elon Musk, you know, that's another thing. I'm sorry to keep droning on, but Elon Musk is like, we need to back off this AI thing and take a deep breath. Well, okay, Elon, cool. But I also know you're developing AI and maybe somebody got ahead of you a little bit. You know, I always look at like, you know, who's who's got a dog in his fight? You know, I, I don't know. So, Josh, maybe you think differently. That's kind of my thought on it. But no, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think you're I think you're spot on from, you know, from what I've seen. I think the issue is, you know, you, you say you haven't seen sentient software or, or anything like that. But it's it, it, it's not far off. And I think, you know, and the concern is, at least for me, you know, you talk about the Terminator articles and everybody, you know, everybody kind of jokes about it. But you take a look at what MIT, you take a look at what like Boston University is doing in the robotics field now. And you take that, you know, what you have now, that, that those incredibly advanced algorithms, and you slap that inside one of those, you know, robotics that they're playing with. And, you know, now you have... Now you have some issues, uh, potentially. I think where people, I think where where we are really going to see the issues with with AI is when they get coupled with quantum computing. When you know when quantum computing comes, you know comes along, and, and we may we meaning the you know the U.S. government may already have it. You know China may already have it, but you know. Once quantum computing comes out, and you you know you lash AI onto that thing. There, at least that I know of, I'm sure you know there's probably some people you know in the in the puzzle palace at the nerdery who you know have the answer to it potentially. But that's a, that's going to be incredibly powerful, and none of your none of your encryption that's out there right now that I know of is going to be able to withstand quantum computing. And then you layer on AI on top of that. That's going to be that's going to be incredibly powerful and it's going to be incredibly dangerous. I have a, I have a comment on that, um, on the AI thing and quantum computing and uh, encryption and all that stuff. What I've always gone to, not always, past three or four years, I've had to work with translators quite a bit, um, especially over the last two years. And, it, it, you know, I know that there's, you know, you got Google Translate and stuff like that. And it has the thing where you can hold it up. And I've done this. You know, you hold it up, they speak into it. And it does a decent job. But it's like with this AI and this extremely fast processing, think about it. You could, it, you're doing, you could, the, the federal government, if they invested 
any kind of money on this AI that's so powerful and everything, you wouldn't need translators anymore. You would not need translators. It would be simultaneous translation. You know, you could do an earpiece, you know, and the other person has an earpiece and you're just speaking back and forth. And there's very little lag time, you know, like they translate in the UN. Those are the best translators in the world. It would be even better than that. So it's like, why, if this, if this AI is so powerful and it's just going to change anything, why aren't they doing that? And maybe they are. And maybe that, that, that's something that's, that's in the pike and it's going to come out next month. And now you got a bunch of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, like that, that would have been disastrous for the, you know, uh, Afghan, Amer- American, U.S. Afghan citizens back in, you know, 2002 that were living in the U.S. <laughs> that would have been disastrous because a lot of people made a lot of money off that. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I think, uh, yeah, Josh, I just wanted to throw that in there. It's like, man, uh, I, I think that if this is so powerful, I think translation services are going to go the way of the dodo, you know, so if I knew of a startup that had a, uh, you know, a, a pretty good line on developing some sort of app that was going to use AI to make translation, you know, translation services, a human being null and void, I, I would invest my money in it because that's the way it's going to go. I mean, that's a, that's a real cost yeah. saving measure and time saving for everyone, not yeah. just the government, you know, yeah. it would, it would finally be well, easy to talk to it in India. Right. Jeff. My name is Jeff. No, it's not. Your name is not Jeff, bro. Like, <laughs> like stop lying to me. Yeah, stop lying to me and fix my fix my Dell. Uh, I, so, why is it not already there for like the translation services? Again, I think you know a lot of people have hyped it up. It's still new, you know, relatively, but people have hyped it up so much that people think, oh, well, it's here. It's existing. It is here, but they still have a long way to go to work through it. Ooh, it just occurred to me. So how about this? You asked, is it there yet? What would be very interesting is to look at the number of students they're sending through DLI right now. Maybe it is out there. And in fact, I'm sure it is out there where it's just machine translation. Boom, 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 boom. We don't need a human listening to this. We don't need a human listening to intercepted comms. I wonder if the numbers of students at DLI has gone down dramatically. I wonder... DLI, the Defense, Defense Language Institute, uh, uh, the one in the West is Monterey. There's one in the East in D.C. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's where the military sends their people to learn languages. And the majority of those people that go through DLI uh, will end up being signals intelligence analysts and working at the NSA. Yeah, potentially. You know, potentially the numbers dropped off. I don't know. Uh, that's something you can probably take a take a look at because, I mean, some of that is probably publicly available. Uh and uh, yeah, I do know they cut their uh, they cut the Pashtu uh, program. <laughs> well, I, if but if you were a, if you were a counterintelligence guy though, and you had a lot of money tied up, or you had a lot of concern tied up with sources and methods, right? Methods in particular, you might be willing to sell the idea because it's the federal government. We don't got to worry about you know cost benefit analysis. You might be able to sell it to the to the big wigs. We still need to put people through this school because if those three dumbasses that <laughs> At Culper's Canteen Cup could figure that out. You sure as shit that the Chinese can too. You know, so they, they might be close. They got to be close to it because you've, and I think we've talked about it before. Stable diffusion. So stable diffusion, uh, I believe, was the first uh, text to image generator out there, right? Uh, so if you're already able to convert text to image, which means that you can sit here and you can go in stable diffusion. I think it's .com or whatever, but you can Google it. But 
You can put uh, red sports car driving uh, down windy road with, uh, you know, green mountains in the background with, you know, the sun shining, you know, whatever. And it'll take that text and create that image. So it's automatically able to interpret that into an image. So there's no reason why it can't do it to the language. They just may not have the money. And you brought up a valid point, you know, as you sit here and talk about it, um, you know, maybe it's a combination where it broke out in the college scene pretty daggum quick. And then all of a sudden you had some hedge fund investors investors say, hey, we can make money off doing this stuff. And so it's three or four things that come together. That, that That's why it blew up. I think the thing that I'm missing, and maybe this is along the lines of what you're talking about, Luke, is true AI is it making decisions. Okay. And I haven't seen that yet. I think what you're saying is basically it's just a very, very fast computer that's pulling the data that's already out there on the internet. You're basically Googling something. You're asking about, you know, uh, what animals out there eat tigers and it'll come back or, hey, write a paper about animals that eat that prey on tigers. And so it goes through National Geographic, all this data, and it just computes it a thousand times faster than we were able ever, you know, ever able to do it before versus, uh, you know, asking it a question and having it make decisions and continued decisions uh, based on, you know, a problem set that you have. Hey, you know, what's the cure for homelessness or whatever it is? And then it goes through, pulls the data. Well, this is how you would do it. And, and it generates some type of course of action. And I think that's what we're missing. And maybe that's out there on the military side already. Uh, and I think that's the fear, right? With like the, you know, drone strikes and stuff like that, where you have the machine actually making the decision that, hey, this is a bad guy. Uh, I've taken the imagery based on all the imagery that we have back, you know, back home, DOD, uh, this is a Taliban. He's carrying a Taliban fighter. He's carrying an RPG and, and a Dishka or whatever the case is. And so we're going to, we're going to drop a, a pred on him. Uh, that's what I think we haven't seen yet. And, and, and maybe that is to come if it's not already out there in, in, on the military side. I, I'm not saying that this technology is not going to be disruptive uh, to, to, you know, both the government and the private sector, but in the healthcare industry, in particular, I could see it being very disruptive for huge, uh, for huge. certain, especially for like radiological techs and stuff like that, because you feed an AI, you know, a, a whatever you want to call it. I'll, I'll just say AI because that's what everyone says. I don't think it's AI, but you feed all these images with background of what it really was. And you've got millions and millions and millions of images. The AI is going to be able to make a fairly good diagnosis of what of that x-ray or that mri or whatever it is and it, i would say it's going to be on the level of being better than human uh, when it comes to decision making and diagnosis as well so I, I i do think it will be a disruptive technology but you know the three of us we we try to tell people you know hey we need to make room for disruptive technologies in our decision making process and uh boy it just falls on deaf ears sometimes because they see what's right in front of them right now so i don't want to downplay it and say it's nothing like you said, Roger, it could be a combination of things, but buddy, it is something. Uh, Dude, it's going to be huge in the healthcare industry. And I tell oh, you, as yeah. we get older, I think I might actually want that because don't yep. get me wrong, I've got great doctors, you know, even the ones that call me fat, but <laughs> you know, how much knowledge do they, you know, one, they've got other patients, right? How much knowledge do they have? Uh, how much, you know, are they doing, you know, their own due diligence on the backside about new treatments, this and that. It's like, Hey, you know what? I, I kind of want some of that uh, where you can pull every single study from the beginning of mankind that we have documented, uh, look at, you know, survival rates. Pull, I mean, to me, that that makes sense. And I, I think the healthcare industry might be the place that it gets started, like and true I, AI. I did read a read an article uh, 
that said they've already they're already using AI in colonoscopies in, in some cases. And it's it's demonstrative. I don't know if this is the US or somewhere else, but it's demonstrably proven that it it makes less mistakes than a human eye. Uh, so, so I mean, it's it's already here, but uh, you know, the, the the level of how much it's going to be employed. You know, we should really put our heads together and think about this, like where we need to put our money with with things like this. Roger's typing how much time we have right now. Right, think Jeopardy music. That's all I got. A few call outs. So, <clears throat> Josh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something real quick that you're not aware of, and I don't know if Roger is either. Uh, we started talking. I had a long conversation with Josh today, phone conversation about some other BS, but. Uh, we talked. We touched on it briefly. Uh, yes, I am going to be in Arizona the first two weeks of um, of September, and Josh and I have have uh, said we want to go down to the border and do a little exploring, and you know, kind of see with a with 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 a new fresh set of eyes what's going on. And uh, he thought I was gonna, see Josh was like he got real close to the camera. His eyes got big because he thought I was finally going to come out of the closet. No, friends, that day has not come yet. Okay, so stay tuned. And so Josh and I wanted to go do some exploring down at the border and, and share with our uh, our listeners and our viewers what we see and, and stuff like that. But, you know, we always say it. We're, all three of us are super busy and trying to get on the same schedule as far as like making a trip is just damn near impossible. So I made a decision. Well, we, we made a decision. We were going to try to get down there the first uh, week of September. And one of our listeners, Eric, um, he... He, he reached out to me. He was like, y'all serious about going to the border? And I was like, yeah, of course we're serious, man. We say something. It's just we got to figure out the right time to do it. And Eric came at us with corporate sponsorship, ladies and gentlemen. Eric owns, owns a mortuary service in Amarillo, Texas. It's, one of the, it's the biggest one in Amarillo, and he has a lot of business. He has some very good insights. I'd love to get him on the show to talk about the, the C word, the COVID word, and what he saw when uh, he, he, he had that service during COVID and he has some very interesting revelations of what he saw coming through his, his business. So he and I have had a lot of conversations. He and his wife, Candace, are just the sweetest people in the world. They're awesome, dude. And they love it. They, they love what we talk about. They are on the level. But Eric uh, is a very successful uh, businessman and um, he decided to invest in some properties down in Arizona, some Airbnb properties in Tombstone. And one of his properties, I'm looking at it right here on Airbnb, is the headline is Stay in Wyatt Earp's Actual Home. So rewind, Eric goes, if y'all are serious about it, I got a place you could stay. And I was like, man, Eric, that's great, man. I, are you sure? I mean, I really appreciate it. He goes, yeah, man, 100%. And it hadn't yet occurred to me. He's talking about his Airbnbs. So he sends me this. He goes, when do you want to stay? You know, and I'm looking at the schedule. You know, he had some open dates. And, of course, this thing is booked up almost all the time because it's Wyatt Earp's actual house in Tombstone. And it's like, man, Eric, this is too much. He's like, no, man, it's it's, it's on me. So I did the dates. Unfortunately, Josh can't make it to this one. But I'm going to go ahead and go down. We're, uh, we're hatching a plan of, of the stuff I'm going to look at. It's like a kind of a familiarization trip. We're going to, you know, look at, you know, what we can do better, you know. But we are going to come out with some – some. Uh, some content for our listeners. We'll talk about it on the episode. So y'all, I mean, check this out. It's on Airbnb. Uh, look for the, you in Tombstone, look for the user Eric and it's Wyatt Earp's actual house. It's like three different little houses, little cottages on the same property. So it's like, you can take up to eight people and they can all have their own little room and stuff. It's going to be awesome, man. So I'm coming up with a plan of what I'm going to do. I'm going to share that with Eric. So he knows or he, he can take comfort. I'm not just going to go down there and screw around. I'm actually going to try to 
uh, make some headway on this and I bounce some lessons learned off of Josh and Roger and see if I'm sure Josh will go down and maybe I can join him maybe at another border location or maybe back in uh, Nogales. So I want to, I just want to shout out to Eric and y'all, Roger, you've got a bunch of listeners there in Arizona. If you ever want to get away down to Tombstone, man, this place is freaking cool, man. And uh, Eric is a, is a, is a, is a super host, 76 reviews so far. They haven't had it that long. And uh, yeah, man. So, so go check that place out, uh, show Eric some love. Cause he's showing us some love, man. So shout out to Eric, uh, shout out to everybody, Jed, all that stuff. Uh, that's about all I got. Uh, unless Josh has something else he wants to kick around a horn. Thanks everybody. No, I'm good. And that's incredibly, incredibly gracious of, uh, you know, uh, of Eric to, to offer that up for us. And I do apologize for, for not being able to make it during those dates. Their schedule is, the schedule is absolutely packed. Um, he's got one shout out, uh, to, uh, to, to my old boss now, uh, Ryan, um, you know, Kind of, I won't, I'm not going to put it out here, but, you know, making some changes and stuff. But Ryan, man, Ryan's a listener, um, you know, and he's a, he's a great dude. And he's a, he's an even better boss, uh, you know, just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed working for him, learned a ton, uh, you know, and it was one of those bosses that, you know, you, you work, you know, you, you work hard because not because you, you know, you want, you want to get paid, you know, even though that's a, you know, it's just a byproduct, but you work because you don't want to let them down. And, you know, he was, he was definitely one of those. So, so Ryan, I definitely appreciate it, man. Um, and, you know, this doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not going to talk to you anymore or anything like that, dude, you know, we're going to keep on keeping on and, uh, hopefully we can, uh, you know, we can, we can see each other pretty soon. Fairly, you know, fairly soon and stuff like that. I still got to get that ball of bourbon from you that you've had for like a year now uh, that you procured for me from uh, from Mizano's in uh, in Ocean Springs, uh, nice Mississippi. So, yeah, man, that's my uh, that's my one shout out. There's a lot of uh, you know a lot a lot of others. Um, you know, I, I tell you what, no, let me do one more. So he doesn't listen. Um, but, uh, but my brother-in-law, his father passed away and it was expected. Uh, but you know, it never makes it, uh, never makes it easy. So Steve, you know, again, my condolences, really sorry, uh, you know, to, to get that news, but, uh, you know, we're, we're still keeping you and the family and in our prayers and, you know, just, uh, you know, hanging there. I can't imagine what that's like. Uh, so, yeah, man, that's my that's what I got, Roger. Yeah, uh, you know, we've got a couple oldies out there: Dan, Joe's, the Spences, Will's, Ted's, uh, even Diego, and all the other people. I did not know that uh, I was half Asian, uh, but thanks for listening. Uh, keep your canteen cups tightly secured, full of some good whiskey.